What a privilege it is to open God's Word, to have His Word for us preserved down through the ages by the Holy Spirit. When we open God's Word, we are truly hearing from our great God. And so uh, when we gather together on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or even a Wednesday or any time we gather together to open God's Word, we hear from our great God. And what a privilege it is. You know what? Even when you open the Word of God on a daily basis in your own home, you hear from God as the Holy Spirit leads and directs and gives us wisdom from the pages of Scripture. Well, we are jumping back uh, to Acts chapter Acts chapter 17 this morning. We were in Acts chapter 16, finished it up last week. We're going to carry on in our study of the book of Acts as we are kind of looking at some great sermons in the book of Acts. So this morning, we're talking about an out-of-this-world message, okay? This is a message that Paul preached, and um, as happens with every piece of scripture that we open up. Um, we have the privilege of hearing from God, and, and it's not just an earthly message. It's a message from God himself who resides in the heavens and who guides and directs and gives us wisdom and insight as we live life based on the pages of scripture. So, um, we, uh, I want to look at Acts chapter 17, so you, if you haven't turned there yet, open your copy of the scriptures to that passage of scripture. We're looking at the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, um, and now his team is moving on from Philippi to uh, other places in Macedonia. Remember that this was not on the plan of the Apostle Paul. If you looked at his travel itinerary, Macedonia was not in that itinerary, okay? He was planning uh, on going a totally different route, and then the whole Holy Spirit said, no, 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 I want you to go here. And he had that vision of the guy from Macedonia who said, come over and help us. We need you here to teach and preach to us the word of God. And so God worked in Paul's heart and brought him in to Macedonia. So we saw in chapter 16 that they had a profitable ministry in Philippi, but it was not an easy ministry. We need to understand that sometimes our ministry is not easy. Sometimes ministry can be very, very difficult, and that doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or whatever it is God has called you to do in ministry, ministry is not always easy. Um, it was encouraging this morning, I got a text uh, from my college, one of my college roommates, hadn't heard from, haven't heard from him in a while, um, and yet he said, I, I just wanted to text and let you know I'm thinking of you, praying for you, that God would use you this morning as you open up God's word. Now, oftentimes as a pastor, not so much here, but we've had experiences where uh, somebody feels they have to share something with you on a Sunday morning right before the church service. And it's not something that's encouraging. It's like, hey, if you don't do this, we're leaving. Oh, happy Sunday morning to you too. Um, and, and so that kind of puts a dark cloud over the whole morning. And it's really important that we don't let those things drive us or influence us, but we let the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us, and we find our comfort in the fact that we are teaching truth from God's Word. That's why it's so important that when we open, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we gather together to look at what God says in the pages of Scripture. We don't gather together to meet here and find out what somebody else has to say. We want to hear from the pages of Scripture. We want to hear from God Himself. And so Paul is doing Doing just that. He had a profitable ministry in Philippi, but it turned very difficult. He began to face persecution and tribulation, so much so that he and his, some of his team members were beaten and thrown into prison. That's where we find out about the Philippian jailer who came to know Jesus as his Savior because Paul and Silas were faithful to God even in the difficult times. We saw that this tribulation led to the result of the Philippian jailer, and his whole household coming to know Jesus. What a blessing that must have been, not only for the Philippian jailer, but for Paul and Silas to see God work through those trials and those struggles. So as we move on into chapter 17, we're going to see more of the same. Effective ministry, but persecution, which results in glory to God. Do you understand that? That persecution for a believer when they're being obedient to the things of God and following the ways of God and they're under, undergoing persecution, that that persecution ultimately brings glory to God. It's not about us. 
and the difficulties and the struggle it is as we work through that persecution, but it's about how we respond and how in our response we have the privilege and opportunity of bringing glory to God. So that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 17. And, and it ends here in Acts chapter 17, it ends with a, minute, with a message on Mars Hill. Okay, that's why we've called it an out of this world message. Okay, now, of course, we're not talking about Mars as one of the planets in the solar system. We're talking about a place in Athens. But Paul preaches in a way that draws these people in and we'll work our way through the text and we'll get there um, in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start um, with just a word of prayer. Not going to read all of the text this morning because we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but we'll, we'll work our way through some of the verses as we, as we expound on them this morning. God in heaven, thank you for this time that we have in the word of God this morning. We want to ask you to use your word to uh, make our hearts soft and pliable, usable for you. And Father, as we've already talked about this morning, may our lives, whatever it is we're going through right now, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult, whether it's uh, thriving in the ministry or facing persecution, Lord, we want our lives to bring glory and honor to you. You have done so much for us and our, our lives are meant to be dedicated to you, to serve you and do the things that you've called us to do. So we ask, Lord, that you would accomplish those things in our lives today, and then the days and the weeks and the months ahead, and until you tarry, or until you come again, as long as you tarry, Father, help us to be effective servants, tools that you can use. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just before I dive into the text, let me welcome the jobs with us this morning. Not all of the jobs that used to be here when they were here are here this morning, but some of them are here, so we're glad to have them with us this morning. They did say that they have to check out just a little bit early, so when they get up and leave, it's probably not because they don't like the preaching, okay? Um, so, uh, and it's nice to have Scotty back. Uh, he's, you're done with your term in the Maritime Academy, right? So, um, uh, very good for you and trying to determine what God's going to do with him next, so you Pray for him as well. All right, First or Acts chapter 17, we're going to talk about the Thessalonians. All right, and who in Thessalonica are we talking about? We're talking about the shouters in Thessalonica in verses 1 through 9. Um, Thessalonica was um, a, a very important city uh, to the Romans. Now, it's, it's a Roman colony, if you will, and it's what they called a free city. Okay, now we might want to take note of that because in America, what do we call ourselves? The land of the free and the home of the brave, right? Okay, Thessalonica was a free, uh, free city, which meant that they had the right to self-governance. Okay, they could govern themselves. That was something that was reserved for only special cities in the, the made up part of Rome, in the, Rome, the Roman civilization. Thessalonica was an important city with a large population. And that large population, of course, like America, right, brings with it all of their uniquenesses. Um, uh, we as America, we used to call ourselves a melting pot because we had so many people from so many different countries um, from all around the world. And Thessalonica was probably not unlike that, that they had a lot of people that came there because of the benefits and the freedoms that the people of Thessalonica had been able to occur uh, from the Roman government. This uh, resulted, because there were so many people that had come to Thessalonica, there was a large Jewish population there. Now you'll remember that in Philippi, well you tell me, where did Lydia and her friends meet to, uh, to worship, if you will? Down by the riverside, right? Okay, uh, because there weren't enough men in Philippi to warrant having a synagogue there. Right? In Thessalonica, though, there was a large enough population that they actually had a Jewish synagogue in, Philipp or in Thessalonica. So guess what Paul did when he got there? He went to the synagogue. That was Paul's pattern, if you will. When Paul went to minister someplace for the first time, or even the second or third time, he would go, first of all, to the synagogue, where he would meet other Jews. Okay? Paul was called to be the apostle to who? The Gentiles. All right? But just because God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he never lost that burden and that heart for the Jewish people. So every time he had the opportunity, he would go to a synagogue and he would preach truth to them. And he didn't usually last very long in the synagogue because what happened to him? 
He would get kicked out. He would get thrown out. Why? Because he was talking about who? Jesus, right? That's the heart of his message. That's the source of his message. He wants people to know that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only means to be reconciled to the Heavenly Father. So Paul's pattern, and we get that from the text where it says, as was his custom. Um, it was the way that Paul normally did things. Like at verse seven, or chapter 17, verse 2, then Paul was, as his custom, went into them in the synagogue and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one who brings salvation, who brings reconciliation. And some of them were persuaded. In other words, some of them believed. And a, a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So he shows up at the synagogue and he preaches to them truth. Now, it probably wasn't normal for truth to be preached so boldly in the synagogues. I've told you before that when we lived in South Africa, um, I had the opportunity on three occasions to do sermon or to do funerals in Catholic churches. Okay? I figured, you know what? I'm never going to get invited back. Actually, I did for one. One family, they they buried their their son, and then a couple months later, they buried their father, so I was asked to be part of both of those sermons. So I figured, hey, you know, or funerals, I said, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the truth because I had the opportunity to share the gospel with some of those individuals. And so I wanted them to know that, they, that you know, Jesus is the only way. Not works, not, not uh, doing certain things would gain you access into heaven, but Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary, his death, his burial, his resurrection is the only way to be reconciled to God. You can't work your way to heaven. And, and Paul wanted these Jewish people believer, these Jewish individuals, to know that they could not work their way to heaven. Keeping the Ten Commandments didn't work. Doing the things that the good Jewish people were supposed to do, um, eating the right thing, washing your hands at the right time, doing the right sacrifices, all of those things would not and never were intended to get you to heaven. In fact, what was the law meant for? Paul tells us in Galatians, the law was a schoolmaster to show us our need for Christ. And so that's what Paul is preaching to them here in Thessalonica, that they need to know Jesus. It says here, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul was a man who loved logic. How many people like logic? Okay. Um, Paul was a man who, who was very logical in his presentations of the gospel. Um, if you like logic, let me just, by the way, tell you, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Peter Kreeft who's written several good books. Um, one of them is called Socrates Meets Jesus. Excellent book, okay? Um, the, uh, another one that he wrote is called uh, <clears throat> The Best Things in Life. And where he takes that and he boils all these things down in the world that the world says, this is important, this is important. Uh, the best things in life is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Uh, Socrates meets Jesus. He brings Jesus back to life on a modern day university campus. Um, and you meet people like Bertha Broadmind and Thomas Skeptic and those kinds of people. It's kind of written in a play format. But again, Socrates comes to the point where he understands, oh, you know what? The most logical conclusion for man is to love Jesus, follow him, and live for him. That's what logic would teach us. If you take logic to its, its, its conclusion, the most logical thing in the world is a relationship with Jesus Christ because he makes you right with God and he's the most powerful being that, that there ever was and ever will be. That's Jesus. That's God. And Paul reasoned from them logically from the scriptures. This word reason means to think it through and then to discuss it with others to convince them or to prove to them what you have is right is well thought through. It's what you need to start believing. Now, what did he reason from? He reasoned from what we would call the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament. In this case, Paul probably used passages like Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, even Isaiah 53, scriptures that would have identified the Messiah. In Psalm 2, the psalmist says this, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay, who is the psalmist talking about there? When he says, you are my son, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah, the Son of God. In Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5, Isaiah writes this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up. Who's the he? Jesus, the Messiah. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Paul is preaching to these Jewish men and women that Jesus, the very one whom the Jews crucified, now yes, it was according to God's preordained plan in eternity past, but the Jews crucified the Messiah. Here's just a little side note here. Had the Jews accepted Jesus as their Messiah, you know what would have happened? Jesus would have offered the kingdom to them and it would have been ushered in. But they didn't. And God knew that they wouldn't. Okay? So it's not like it was a train smash. Oh no, what are we going to do? The kingdom's delayed. The kingdom's never going to happen. No, it's part of God's plan that the kingdom will happen at the right time. And it hasn't happened yet. And we're not in it, by the way, as some people might tell you. It's going to happen in the future when Jesus comes, after he comes in the clouds and catches us up to heaven. Uh, after the tribulation period here on earth, he's going to come back. We're coming with him. He's going to set up his kingdom. And all of the things that were kingdom promises will be fulfilled at that point in time. Okay? So here we have Paul talking about some of those things that the Jews missed out on. And the biggest thing they missed out on was the fact, the fact that Jesus is, was, and is the Messiah. No questions are to be asked. That's, that's just the way it is. He is the Messiah. He reasoned with them. He explained to them, this is the truth. Now, we even see from the text how Paul reasoned with him. In verse 3 it says, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. You see, when Jesus came the first time, that's something that the Jewish people missed. They thought he was coming as the conquering king. They missed almost all of Isaiah where it talks about him coming as the suffering servant before he comes as the conquering king. So Paul reasoned with him. He said, listen, don't you understand that Jesus, according to the prophet Isaiah, had to suffer, had to die, had to be buried and rise again before he could offer the kingdom. That's just the truth. That's just the way it is. We see from the text how Paul reasoned with him. Um, Paul was very well trained in the Jewish scriptures. He knew his way around the teachings of the prophets. And, 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 you know, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew the word of God. He, even before he got saved, he knew the word of God better than most others. In fact, I said this before. Paul was probably on his way to become the next Gamaliel. He was going to be the teacher in Israel. That's the way it was going to be. He, he had his life was all planned out for him. That was, that was his desire. But God has a way of changing our desires, doesn't he? When he calls, him to, calls us to himself, he changed Paul's desire. Paul no longer was, the going, was going to be the teacher in Israel. He was going to be a teacher to the Gentiles. Wow. You know, from a human perspective, what a letdown that is. I, I thought I was going to talk and preach and teach to the, to the people of God. God said, no. Well, yes, you are. You're going, to call, you're going to preach and teach to the people that I call to be my children, my followers, during the church age. But that was not his goal. That was not his desire. You see, all that training that Paul had at the feet of Gamaliel was so that God would use him in the lives of others. 
The Holy Spirit took this knowledge that Paul had and and used that knowledge to impact not just Jewish people, but Gentile people as well. The text also says, and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Here's that logical conclusion. It must be that if Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, he had to first suffer as the servant of God, and then he could become the powerful king. This Jesus indeed is the Messiah that you've been longing for. He's preaching this in the Jewish synagogues. When I was preaching in the Catholic church, the last funeral that I did in a Catholic church was for a guy named Patty. And Patty was an Irish guy, and so he had all of the Irish gobbledygook that went with it. And and a couple months before Patty died, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. So when I got up there to to talk during his funeral, I called him Patty. The other two guys, the 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 priest, the local priest, and then the next guy up, whoever that was, he didn't they didn't call him Patty. They didn't know that he was called Patty, okay? Um, But I had a relationship with Patty. Okay, so I called him Patty, and I said, you know, I need to tell you a story about Patty. P-A-D-D-Y, right, because he's Irish, okay? I have a story to tell you about Patty. And so I recounted with him the day I met with Patty and shared the gospel with Patty. Every point of the gospel, I talked about it. And then I said, I said, you know what? Patty made a decision because he knew that good works wouldn't get him there. And behind me, I hear this... And dropping things on the floor and making all kinds of commotion. And it's the, it's the guy that's the, I don't know, archbishop or whatever he was, sitting behind me. And one of our deacons was sitting in the front row. He said, Pastor, I thought I was going to have to come up there and rescue you. Because he didn't like what you were saying. I couldn't see him. He was behind me. Okay? But you know what? I'm sure that when Paul is preaching, this Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus is the Messiah. I'm sure the religious leaders in the synagogue were, they weren't happy. They were ticked off because Paul was preaching the truth. And the truth infringed on what they were doing. We must stand for the truth. We must preach the truth no matter what, come what may. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the only way for fulfillment in this life. Well, We have what Paul was doing here. We call it Paul's pattern. We also see Paul's product. Okay, Verse 4 clearly declares the result of Paul's preaching and teaching ministry there in the synagogue in Thessalonica. What a great testimony this is. And some of them were persuaded. In other words, some of them believed. Remember what Paul says? For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor heaven, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. I am persuaded. I absolutely believe it 100%. Same word. These people were persuaded to believe the truth about Jesus Christ. Some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. In other words, where it says and not a few of the leading women, in other words, a lot of them, many of them, several of them began to follow after or join into the teaching and preaching and believing what Paul was saying from the scriptures. That's the result. That's the end product. Can I tell you guys, When you and I preach the word of God, and I don't mean stand up behind a pulpit and preach, when you and I communicate God's word, the truth to others, we want the end result to be that they believe. Now, we can't do anything to make them believe. That's all work of the Holy Spirit in their life. But if we are faithful in giving out the gospel, others will come to know Jesus as their Savior. And you know what we see next? Paul's problem. Okay? You know what it is. Like in Philippi, Paul, had, Paul and his team encountered a problem with the Jewish religious leaders. The force of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit came over them, and instead of repenting, these Jewish leaders hardened their hearts. And you know what? These people who had a plethora of knowledge of the Scriptures became tools in the hand of Satan. How sad is that? Those who should have known better had their their shine taken off a little bit because Paul was preaching truth. 
And they didn't like that. And they, they should have instead responded to the truth and confessed and repented. But instead, they hardened their hearts. They stirred up the crowd. They made false accusations against Paul and his team. And they tried to have them put to death. Wow. From people who should know the truth and do the truth to people who were doing just the opposite. When they couldn't find them... And any accusation against them or even find them to continue persecuting them, they found this poor guy by the name of Jason. And Jason was a believer. Jason was a hospitable child of God who was, was treating Paul and his team well. And they found Jason and his friends and they brought them to the, to the, to the synagogue and they persecuted them instead. Hey, you tell us where Paul is. They, wouldn't, they didn't want to tell where Paul was. The point is of this is, I'm afraid that some of us might give up on spreading the gospel when persecution comes. What did Jason do? He stood tall. He stood firm. He stood in the truth of the gospel. You and I need to stand firm in the truth of the word of God. We still live in a pretty free society, don't we? Praise God. The thing is, we don't know how long that's going to last. We don't know that it might end the next cycle of elections. It might end tomorrow. We don't know when the freedom that God has blessed this nation with is, is going to end, or if it will end. But you know what? That shouldn't matter. We certainly have people all around us on a daily basis that are anti the gospel of Jesus Christ, anti the truth. So what do we do? We speak the truth. We communicate what God has done in our lives. We share scripture with them. And that's why I tell you over and over again, it's so important to know and memorize God's word, to have it hidden in your heart, so that at a moment's notice, you can communicate truth with another person. Now, I understand we all have these things, and I won't ask you how many of you have a Bible app on your phone, because I want you to be embarrassed if you don't have one. But if you don't have one, get one! All right? Um, if you have one, it's easy. Pull it out. And you, but you know what? Sometimes you only see somebody for a minute or two. You don't have time to get the app out and find it. If it's here, you can speak it. And you know what? God says, my word will not return void. It will accomplish there which I send it out to accomplish. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't have to be communicated in, in this, from this particular book with a leather cover on it. It can be communicated from a tablet, from a phone, or even from your mind. Because the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and do what God wants to do with that Word. So let's not be afraid, let's not fear persecution when it comes our way. Can I tell you also this? That most of the time when persecution comes upon the church, the church doesn't get weaker. The church gets stronger okay so let's not fear it let's not borrow trouble from tomorrow if we don't have to but let's not fear it. let's anticipate God's blessing in and through us as we communicate truth to God's people or to those that don't know God well let's move on verses 10 through 15 we, we move from the shouters to the searchers okay the searchers in Berea now we, we hear a lot or maybe not so much now but you know, a decade ago or so, we heard a lot about seekers, okay? I was careful not to use that word here because that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who seek after God in their own accord because there are none of those. The Bible says there's none that searches after God. There's none that seeks after God. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But there are people who search the scriptures. You know who those people are or should be? Raise your hand. Come on, everybody, put your hand up in the air. That's who the searchers should be. All of us should be searching the scriptures. That's what the Bereans did. They searched the scriptures. They wanted to find out if what Paul was saying was true. Now, there's not a lot of space in the scriptures given to the Bereans. Okay? In fact, this is it where we read about the Bereans. But what is said about them is extremely important. We see that they are dedicated followers of God. Followers of Jesus who love the word of God. Let's see Paul's routine again. 
You know what? Where did he go when he gets to Berea? The synagogue. He seeks out the Jewish people so he can communicate the gospel message to them. Why? Because he has a deep burden in his heart for God's people to become God's people. All right? Um, that's his routine. But we see the Bereans' response. It's worth noting. In Thessalonica, Paul reasoned the scriptures with those in the synagogue. In Berea, the people of the synagogue first received the scriptures, and then they did the reasoning. They did the searching. They did the, 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 the investigating of the text like we talked about last Sunday night. You see, they were compelled by the scriptures to understand and to know the scriptures. <clears throat> they wanted to make sure that Paul was preaching the truth according to the scriptures. Now, we've said that many times, haven't we? In fact, somebody else, I was with a couple of people, and somebody else said, hey, pastor, make sure that people knows that they are supposed to search the scriptures, and they're supposed to make sure that what he says is from the pages of scripture. Now, if you're doing expository preaching, that's pretty easy, isn't it? You open up the text, and you find it's right there in the text. We don't, we don't jump around from a lot of scriptures to all over the place to kind of, you know, make you fa- tra- uh, go on a rabbit trail. Not that I don't get on those either. But we stick with the text. We understand that we, my goal is every Sunday to present the text to you, if you will, to expose the text in expository preaching. All right? So the Bereans were making sure that Paul was exposing the word of God to them. Notice the difference between those at Thessalonica and those at Berea. In, in Thessalonica, they were passive. Okay, um, They were persuaded. They didn't actively search the scriptures. They didn't just, in Berea, they didn't just take what Paul said and say, okay, sounds good to me. They took what Paul said and they said, oh, let's see what it says here back in Isaiah. Let's see what it says back here in, in some of the other prophets or in the law. Let's make sure that what this guy is claiming is true. Can I encourage you that when you listen to somebody else or even to me, but there's a lot of, lot of opportunity for us to turn the radio on and hear some other preacher or some other teacher. Um, sometimes I cringe when somebody says, Pastor, I was listening to so-and-so. I was like, oh. Or I was listening to so-and-so. Yeah. Listen on, okay? If you want to know who you should cringe when you... No, study the scriptures. If you can't find what they're saying in the scriptures, turn the radio off. Don't listen to them. Turn the TV off. You don't need to hear somebody else's thoughts. You need to hear the word of God. The response of the Bereans was to search the scriptures. The results we see in verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well. That sounds like the same thing, right? You see what happens when the word of God is preached? It accomplishes what God intends it to accomplish. It just says here that many of them, the many of them would be the Jews. In Thessalonica, it says some of the Jews believed. In Berea, it says many of them believed. Also, not a few of the Greeks, like in Thessalonica, many Greeks also believed the message that Paul preached and came to a saving knowledge of the crucified, buried, and risen Messiah. Hallelujah, when people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Prominent women as well as men in Berea. God was saving folks from all walks of life as well as men and women. All kinds of people, all different races. What a blessing it is to see people come from different backgrounds and all come to know Jesus Christ and worship him in the same body of believers. Several times now in the book of Acts, Luke has told us of the incredible growth within the church. One commentator made a good point when he said this, Luke continually emphasizes the numerical growth of the early church as proof of the power of its message. You know what? People are still coming to church. People are still getting saved. You know what that is? Proof of the power of the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. It's not the message of Pastor Tim. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. We see that there's news um, of these many conversions and growth within the church in Berea. When that news reached Thessalonica, though, you know what happened? They sent the rabble-rousers from Thessalonica to Berea. They wanted to stir the pot, if you will. They wanted to cause an uprising in Berea, just like there was in Thessalonica. So the believers, you know what they did in Berea? Hey, Paul, we've been blessed by your ministry. Let's get you out of here now. Let's send you on your way. And so he does. And you know what? 
God had a reason for sending him on his way. We find it in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. What happens there? Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So God moves him from Berea to Athens. You know where Athens is, right? It's, it's in, in what country? Greece, all right? What is Greece known for? The Greeks, what are they known for? Many gods, the pantheon, okay? There's a plethora of gods in Greeks, in Greece. We might, I've entitled this next section, The Scholars in Athens, verses 16 through 34. But you know what? We might better call them the skeptics in Athens, okay? Because they're not really scholars. They're, they're, they're people who like the idea that they have a great deal of knowledge, but that knowledge is not life-changing in the better. It's actually leading them away from the things of God. So, Paul leaves Berea, he heads to Athens by himself. He left Silas and Timothy behind to help the believers become more established and more grounded in the truth. Silas and Timothy would leave to catch up with Paul as soon as possible. Paul is now in Athens by himself. But you can know Paul. He's not going to sit around doing nothing, right? He, he goes for a little stroll. He goes for a walk. And as he walks through the city, he sees that their idolatry, it abounds. It's kind of like engulfs the whole city. Athens is just full of different gods, small g, and goddesses. Okay, So as he's observing, he gets pricked in his spirit. Provoked, the word says. I, I, I got to start talking about this. I can't stop. I got I to gotta communicate the truth. So we see in verse 17, Paul's inclination. Therefore, look what he did. He reasoned where? In the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. As usual, Paul heads straight to the synagogue to communicate the gospel to those in need. And as usual, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to this man. So now Paul gives an invitation. He doesn't spend much time in the synagogue. In Berea, he spent three weeks there. Not so much here. Okay, He's now giving an invitation. He's in the marketplace. He presented the truth of the word of God. And you know what? When we present the... <laughs> I, you know, some of you, all of you, I think, know that I work part-time at Tractor Supply. We have this thing that we're supposed to follow. It's called Guru, okay? Greet, uncover, re uh, um, recommend, and ask for the sale, okay? That's how we're supposed to do uh, work on the floor. In fact, they send you out, do Guru on the floor. Greet, um, recommend, uncover, ask, all that kind of, you know. So, so Paul's, he's already passed the greeting stage. Now he's going to recommend, and he's going to ask for a commitment of their lives, He's going to say, hey, you need to trust, you need to believe, all right? So his invitation, his greeting, if you will, hey, I see that you guys have a lot of gods here. He's standing in the Areopagus, okay? This place where there's all kinds of statues to different gods. And, and that's his launching point into his message on Mars Hill. Okay, so we see now Paul's instruction. He, he invites the people to come and listen, and now he's going to give them instruction. In other words, he's going to preach to them. Okay, he's going to communicate truth to them. But understand this, first of all, Paul's mindfulness. He understands his, his, his audience, if you will. He knows who he's talking to. He identified his congregation. We must remember that Paul's normal message was to speak to the Jews and to talk to them about the Messiah. You know what? The skeptics in Athens didn't care about the Messiah. So he changes things up a little bit. But you know what? He was prepared. He was ready. He communicates what to them? He communicates truth to them. He's not speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to a bunch of intellectuals, a bunch of philosophers, if you will. We might say that Paul was preaching to the New Agers of his day. Can I tell you this? Maybe he was like going down to Ithaca. Okay? Because that's a whole different crowd than Preble or even Cortland or even Syracuse. Okay? That's where Paul is. He's talking to the intellectuals. He's talking to the skeptics. He's talking to those people who really don't think that there's one true God. And certainly not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if there is. Okay? All right? They're more along Zeus 
and all these other gods of the pantheon that, that kind of correspond with their natures. All right? Paul's talking to, if you will, the New Agers of the day. People that believe salvation came through successful intellectual pursuits and not a personal relationship with the one true God. King James puts it this way. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Don't you love that? I love the way the King James words that. You are too superstitious. Now what does it mean to be superstitious? If you like baseball, baseball players, well, I don't know, it's new era in baseball. Old baseball players used to be superstitious, okay? Uh, when, a, when a manager is walking out to make a pitching change, you know what he didn't do? He didn't step on the lines. In fact, you, the camera would follow him. Sometimes you go, so not to step on the line. Because you know what? If you step on the line, man, that's, forget it, you lost the game. Superstitious. Paul says, you are in all things too superstitious. What was Paul saying? Well, he says, you guys, you have a lot of different religious ideas, but you know nothing about the truth. He didn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, did he? He simply comes right out with the truth. Listen, you guys don't know the truth. Let me talk to you about the truth. Your lack of knowledge is seen in a quick stroll through your town. Look at all of your idols, all the things that you are devoted to, the things that you worship. Now, you might be wondering how religious was Athens anyway. Well, they were so religious. Now, this is not a joke. This is not speculation. There is, this is a fact. There were more idols in Athens than there were men in Athens. Okay? That's how superstitious they were. More idols than men in Athens. And so from here, Paul begins his message. We see what he preaches. His message is this. Um, he reveals to them the one true God in verses 23 through 29. Paul says, you call him the unknown God. You know what, guys? I'm here to reveal to you today who this unknown God is. And by the way, he doesn't have a small g. He has a big g. Because he's the one true God. He's the real God. He's the only God. So he reveals to them the unknown God. And let me tell you who this unknown God is. He's the creator of the universe. He made the world and he made everything that is in the world. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Forget about Zeus. He doesn't measure up. He doesn't count. In fact, he doesn't even matter. This God who made the heaven and the earth and everything in it, he doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. You know, Athens had temples to the different gods. My God, the one true God, the God of heaven, he doesn't dwell in any of these temples. They're not big enough for him. He's not worshipped with men's hands, or we would say he's not, he's not worshipped in the way man determines to worship him. God tells us how to worship him. How are we supposed to worship God? In spirit and in truth. Athens doesn't have the truth, so they can't worship the one true God. Paul says, I'm here to declare the truth to you. I want you to know how to worship the one true God. This God that I worship, not only is he the creator, not only does he not dwell in temples, but he's the giver of life. He's also the one who ordered and ordained the events of history. No matter what you do to your gods here in these temples, you can't, he can't control the heavens. He can't control the rain. He can't control the gardens. My God controls all of those things. He's even ordered the events of history. They happen according to his plan. And you know what he says here? This is the kicker. My God wants men to seek him and find him. He's not hard to find. He's not uh, built himself a, a palace in heaven to stay away from people. He wants you to find him. Paul reminds them that God is not far away from any of them because it is only by his grace that any of us exist. God is interested in his creation. God loves his creation. God wants his creation to interact with him. 
Not only did he reveal the one true God to them, but then the next thing, if you will, the, the, the ask, the sale, he called them to repentance in verse 30. We live in an age where God has commanded that the gospel go forth to all nations. You, you know, we talked about this in Acts chapter 1, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Paul is in the uttermost parts right now. And God requires repentance from anyone, whether you live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa or South America. God calls repentance from anyone who wants to have a right relationship with him. There is no other way. You must repent. If you don't repent, you will face the wrath of God. Why does God call for repentance? Well, because judgment is coming. God has appointed a day when he will judge everyone based on Jesus Christ. Whether they have accepted Jesus Christ in their heart or not. I think this means that we will be judged on whether or not we believe the truth of the scriptures about Jesus Christ, the one true God. His fact, the fact that he died on the cross of Calvary, which is foolishness to mankind. John chapter 5, verses 22 through 27 explains the authority that God gave to his son and the fact that you have to repent. He says there, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Why do we have to repent and trust Jesus? Because Jesus is the ultimate judge. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Uh-oh. There are religious groups that are in so much trouble over that. Like, all those religious groups that say that Jesus was just a good man? Isn't the Son of God? Isn't the Redeemer? You know some of the ones I'm talking about, don't you? That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who bears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has lit life in himself, so he has granted life to the Son and has given him authority to, to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the only way. You must repent, you must turn away from your sinful ways, and you must become a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a follower of God. A follower of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he tells them of the resurrection. Jesus has the right to judge because he has been raised from the dead by God the Father. Remember what Paul said over in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection? In case you don't, I'll read it for you. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, which some of the people in Athens would have said that, would have believed that, if he's not raised from the dead, how do some, of you, um, how, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Guess what? The dead rise. And God the Father is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, accepting his work on the cross of Calvary. And because Jesus rose from the dead, you and I also would, will rise from the dead. There can be no doubt. There is no doubt. It is 100% true based on Scripture. So we see in this proclamation that Paul communicates all the necessary ingredients of the gospel message. And as a result, you know what happened in Athens? People came to believe in Jesus Christ and trust him as their savior. In that dark place where there were more gods than men, when the truth is proclaimed, the truth prevails, and people come to know Jesus as their savior. Well, we're going to draw to a close here this morning. We want to ask ourselves this question. Do we have an out-of-this-world kind of a lifestyle that is going to draw others to Jesus Christ. Well, from this whole chapter, I think there's something that's very important that we take from this message. And Paul has given us an example. And that example is to be in the habit of communicating truth 
to be in the habit of communicating the gospel message. Everywhere Paul went, he was eager to tell others about Christ. We also see that when Paul preached the gospel, he used everyday illustrations. He, he, he used everyday things of life to communicate to you, ye men of Athens. I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Look at all of these idols you have propped up on these different pedestals. You know what? None of them can save you. None of them can change the weather. None of them can bless your crops. None of them can give you power. There is only one. And he used those kinds of illustrations as he preached to them. And, and we see the fact that these people responded to the gospel message. Notice this also. Paul never compromised the gospel message. Not once. Even though he was standing in the midst of people who may in some ways have been smarter than he was. He never changed the message. He never compromised. He always gave out the truth and he always did it in love without compromise. Always remember that Paul never worried about the results of his witness. It wasn't up to Paul who trusted and who didn't. It wasn't up to Paul who believed and who didn't. He simply preached. He simply gave out the gospel and he left the rest to who? God. Because it's only God who can make the difference. God accomplished exactly what God wanted to accomplish, the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And you know what? When you and I preach, God will do the same. He will accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. All he asks of us is that we be faithful to communicate the message. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for that very message, that out-of-this-world message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, no matter what we say to other people, it will not have an impact on their lives eternally unless it is the gospel. Uh, Father, we want our lives not to get in the way of communicating that gospel. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we are so concerned with what's going on around us that we get in the way of the message. But help us to let the message go forth boldly. Help the message to go forth unashamedly. Help the message to go forth clearly. Help the message to go forth in a way that shows that we are concerned about their well-being spiritually and eternally, that we love them, and that our goal is to communicate truth in such a way that their lives will be changed for all of eternity. Father, your message is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a story to tell, how you changed our lives through the use of Scripture to conform us to the image of your Son. And we're still in that process of confirmation. Lord, help us to be individuals, tools that you can use for your honor and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.